0: Exploring Mormon Thought features discussions about Mormon doctrine and theology that correlate with topics in the book series of the same name written by scholar and theologian Blake Osler. Find us online at exploringmormonthought.com and facebook.com forward slash exploring Mormon thought. Hi, listeners, welcome to Exploring Mormon Thought. Today we're concluding Fire on the Horizon. This is the last chapter we've gone through both of the sections of the book and this is the last one we've been talking about the atonement and we started out talking about the temple and how it is a symbolic representation of our life and our commitments in it and then we talked about the atonement and how that fits into that and how that helps us get over the effects of a fall of man or a metaphorical fall of just being in the world and now, we're going to talk about how we can apply the atonement or remember it each day in our lives through the symbol of the sacrament. This section is called sacramental remembering as atonement, but you have separated them out so it's like remembering, so putting something back together as at onement, which we talked about a little bit already about how that's, you know, what the word atonement means is to be at one with God and how it's this reciprocal relationship. So, to start out, you say that the ordinance of the sacrament is the perfect representation you have representation broken out again you do that a lot here you'll need to tell us why maybe or i guess i understand why but anyway it's a representation or representation of Christ's atonement of his life entering into us as we covenant to give our lives to him holy the sacrament is a sacred moment in which we embody Christ's life into our very lives
1: so let's talk about what does it mean to represent Christ we're representing presenting Christ in the sense that we're making him present in our lives. And so this is an actual reality that we're talking about, that Christ will be one in us. And we do this symbolically, of course, by taking bread and water into ourselves. And the bread, like all food that we eat, becomes sustenance for our life. It becomes the very energy by which our lives are lived. And the water, of course, represents wine, which represents his blood. And the blood is the seat of life. It's the very source of life, if you will. And so the whole point of the sacrament is to make Christ present in us as we commit to be present with him. And so we're talking about a very sacred moment. I'm going to share an experience which is sacred to me, but I think it will bring this into some context. I was just in the congregation, and there's this remarkable moment when the priest's pull back the white cloth that we put over the bread and the water and for a moment i saw the shroud over christ's body and as they removed the cloth i saw his body laying on the bier where the sacrament had been laid and it shocked me i don't know who came up with this metaphor of putting a white cloth over the bread and water it's not mentioned anywhere in scripture it's just this universal practice that the church has adopted the white cloth is put over the bread and water representing his body and the blood of his life. And we pull it back and it's we're, we're pulling a shroud off of his body so that he can then relive in us again. And it was so shocking to me. I mean, I hadn't seen these associations before. It was a moment in which I realized what's being presented here symbolically for us. We have this, and you talked about the remembering. I want to talk about this and emphasize it. The prayer that we have in English is not always that we will recall him or recollect him or that we'll have him in mind or keep him in mind. It is that we will remember him. And to remember something in English means more than just keeping it in mind or having it close to our consciousness. When we remember something, we do that in our memory by taking and putting the memories back together. But because of the association with the body of Christ, as Paul talked about it, and the church is the body of Christ, and what we are doing is remembering the body of Christ among the congregation that sits there. And so we all represent the body of Christ and we have need of each other, but we're making Christ present in this community by remembering him among us. and So we become, as a community, Christ reconstituted. We are now Christ through the sacrament. The whole point is that we now are carrying on the work that he had done. We now become the love that he would have given. We now become the life that he was living, and his life is present in the congregation as a whole. So when we remember him, we not only put him together in our lives individually, but we do it as a congregation to become the members of Christ's body as a congregation. That's why the sacrament can never be done all along. It is necessarily a communal ordinance, and the reason it's necessarily a communal ordinance is is that we have to have somebody to bless it, and there has to be somebody to receive. You can't do it for yourself, but more importantly, it's when we include everybody within our community to be remembered so that we become one body, and this is important because being one body, in a sense, is what Zion is all about. So there's a lot going on in the sacramental symbolism that I think often people don't – it just doesn't occur to them how remarkable all of these associations are. So that we are becoming Christ re-embodied, we are becoming the body of Christ in our community to be his works, to be his life, to be his love. And to love one another. And all of this is happening in, and being represented in the simple ceremony. I also want to say something else. We'll get to the very words of this ordinance in just a second. But what Christ did in his Last Supper, in breaking the bread and giving it to his disciples and then giving the wine to his disciples, is the best attested event in the entire life of Christ. All four Gospels agree on it, they essentially agree without contradiction about what was said how it was done, who was present, what the meaning was. And so this is the moment in Christian history that is such a focal point that it's the one thing that every single writing in Christian history agrees upon. And, and there's not a real question as to whether it actually occurred. Christ, the night before he was taken nil to a Roman cross, went through this sacramental remembering, asking his disciples in that moment to remember him. And he didn't mean just to keep him in mind. To do it in remembrance of his blood and his body, his disciples after that night were going to be him. They were the ones that were going to move his message and his life forward. And so it is so sacred, and every Sunday we do this. It's so incredibly amazing that we have this blessing in our lives and that we have this grace in our lives given to us. You know, there's so much more going on than meets the eye. We can do this just sitting there, you know, looking at our iPhones and forgetting that something really remarkable is happening, or we can be present with it and allow Christ to be present with us. And in that moment, to allow that moment where Christ gave this bread and, and wine to his disciples to be present to us again, because that's exactly the intention of what is going on.
0: That brings to mind, I think this was at the last supper, correct me if I'm wrong, but when Christ gave the command to his disciples before his crucifixion, he says, As I have loved you, love one another. It's
1: in John 14, and it's part of the instructions that Christ Christ has been talking to the world, and a lot has been hidden. But beginning in John 14 through 17, the inner secrets of Christ's ministry are then disclosed, and this is where he takes his disciples to himself. That is exactly where it occurs. It is kind of the discourse in preparation for this sacramental moment. And what do we mean by sacramental? We mean this is a sacred moment. What does it mean to be sacred? It means it's apart from everyday mundane life. This is something that has eternal significance in this moment.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, I read it or heard it or something like that, but someone just said something that kind of struck me that I didn't really think about it before, but when he says, as I have loved you, love one another, and often you know, we interpret that to mean like, because I have loved you, love one another, but... Really what he's saying is, in the way that I have loved you, that's how you should love one another. And I just thought, like, oh, okay, that's that's interesting. It's not just because I love you, you should love other people. It's please love other people the way that I have shown you love.
1: Right. I am the exemplar, and I'm asking you to go and give the love that I have been giving, because I'm not going to be with you any longer. And that's exactly what John 14 is about.
0: All right, so next, obviously, there's two different parts of the sacrament, the bread and the wine or water, and they both represent different things. So we're going to go over each of those symbols and then kind of go over what you say in the book about them. So the first is the bread. And I just wrote, I mean, there's a lot in there so you can expound, but I just wrote this part from it. He said, the bread eaten in this sacred moment is the very food that becomes our bodies, the sustenance that nourishes us, and the energy by which we carry on our life's activities and this is a symbol for Christ's body, and we're taking it into us. So, on um, specifically, the bread symbol, what more do you have to add about that?
1: Well, remember that in John, Christ is the bread of life. And so what he's sharing with us in the sacrament is this bread of life. Remember that the bread does, in fact, sustain us, it, you know, like food does. It's amazing that our bodies can take and convert what we eat into energy. But this is symbolically giving us the energy of Christ's life to be in us. And so we're taking him into us as the sustenance of our life. We're taking him into us to give us the energy by which we live our lives. And so it's a very potent symbol and symbolic meaning that Christ is now living as the energy of our lives within us. And this is not a metaphor that Christ lives within us. This is a reality. All right. And
0: then as for the water, Jesus said, this cup, the one that had the wine in it, holds up, is the new testament of my blood, which was shed for you. That's from Luke 22, verse 20. So you, you comment that the blood is the seed of life, and he is asking us to take his very life into us. The blood is a testament, in other words, a testimony, or a new covenant. And so, especially in the ancient world, the context where Christ would have been saying this, the blood they saw not as just, you know, like the liquid that carries the nutrients to your body, it's the very force of life, you know, because they're like, well, you stab someone and out comes this red stuff, and then if they don't have the red stuff, they're dead. So, like, this is life.
1: Right. They were vitalists, and what that means is that the power of life, the energy of life is in the blood itself. So, if you have blood in you, it's the magic substance that makes it so that you're a living soul as opposed to something that's dead. And so, remember, they were giving animal sacrifices that represented the life of the animal. But it also represented the divine life to which the blood was being given. So when they did a sacrifice, the priest would then take and sprinkle the blood of the animal on the altar. And that was the act of atonement, was the sprinkling of blood on the altar. That's what the word kopher was meant to represent. Kopher meaning atonement in Hebrew. And so the blood has this special meaning that Christ's life is now taken up abode in us. And so when Christ speaks in John repeatedly that he will take up his abode or his house, the very resident, he'll take up residence in us. And this, again, is not merely a metaphor. When we become Christian, the very energy of his life, the very energy of everything that he is, enters into us as a new energy. We feel it. We live it. This is a lived reality. We find the vitalism, the power that goes with this. When we're in the Spirit in Christ, and that's what it means to be in Christ and Christ to be in us. And as I've commented before, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is a significant one. Christ has taken up abode within the Christian. The Christian now lives a life where the light of Christ is manifest in the countenance of the Christian, because Christ is present in the countenance of that Christian. When one looks at us, they may see the light of Christ and the countenance of Christ in us. And our challenge is to see the countenance of Christ in all people and to share it so that the light of Christ is abundantly shed among all.
0: And then you give the metaphor, so the last part, which is in both prayers, is the promise that he gives back to us. So it's saying, you know, you do this, take this water, take this bread, keep the commandments, so that they, meaning us, will have his spirit to be with them, to be with us. So another word for spirit in Jesus' day would be breath or the, the very air that you breathe, and if you kind of expound on that breath metaphor.
1: Sure. In Hebrew, the word for both breath and wind is ruach, and it also means spirit. When they talk about the, the spirit, the, the word that's translated as ruach in Hebrew. In Greek, it is pneuma. It means spirit, it means breath, it means wind. In Latin, it is spiritus. It means wind, breath, and basically life. So we have this in respiration, you know, respiration to to spirit is to breathe. What it means is that the spirit is itself this divine life that is now in us. And so when we have the spirit to be with us, the prayer doesn't say the Holy Ghost. It's his spirit, meaning Christ's spirit that will be in us. A lot of people say, well, we're going to have the Holy Ghost with us all the time. That's not what's being said at all. What is being said is that the very life that is lived by Christ will be in us and we will breathe it as our very life. And so in every breath that we take, we are breathing in the divine life, and every time we exhale, we are giving life. And this is a potent reality about human life, but now it's a divine life that we co-live with with Christ. All right, and then you bring this
0: part full circle. So remember, we started out this part of the book, and is started with that we are all Adam. And so in... A lot of ways the, the story of Adam and Eve kind of represents you know, our shortcomings or things that we need to overcome as human beings in order to carry on in our journey to be more like God. And so to bring that full circle, you, know, you say Christ is the second Adam. That's in scriptures a lot. You say in atonement Christ becomes man, that man might become Christ just as we are all Adam. So the meaning of the sacrament is that we are all in Christ and his life is in us. The atonement is effective only when we are as Christ is. Go more into that symbolism of how says we are all Adam, what does do we we take on Christ or become Christ to, to fix what was wrong with
1: Adam? Yeah, so in the atonement we take Christ's very life into us, we overcome the alienation that was created when Adam has chosen to leave God's presence. The first Adam, the first man is the man Adam. But Christ is the second Adam. He's the second creator of our life. And so we share not merely the mortal life that we share with Adam. We share the immortal life that we share with Christ. And in so doing, the whole point is that we are going to be Christified. We are going to be made over in Christ's image because we will be like him. He's asked us to be like him, and that is done when we love as he loved us. That doesn't mean because he loved us, as you say, or merely because he loved us. It means we love in the very way that he loves because that's the command that we've been given, that we love everyone just as he loved us. And so the whole point of this is that through love, we overcome this alienation that cast us out of God's presence. But we are now not merely in God's presence, we're in intimate unity with God. And we have been restored so that everything that is in our way of having fulfilling relationships has now been removed. And so, remember, this relationship isn't limited to the relationship we have with Christ. It now expands itself to every relationship that we have, so that we have the self-same love for everyone else in our lives. We've been commanded to give this love to all others. Now, Kierkegaard has this wonderful meditation on whether love can be commanded, because you can't love out of duty, and if you do, you don't love. So, the command isn't to create a duty for us. It doesn't lay a duty upon us. What it does is teaches us how to love.
0: I mean, you kind of just explained this, but I just wrote it down because it seemed like a thesis statement almost for this part of the book. Say The purpose of mortal life is to empower us to bring about a transformation of the kind of relationship in which we stand in relation to God. And so that's what the Heart of Atonement book is about. So is there anything you want to expand on that just to kind of bring it home?
1: Yeah, it is simply that atonement is God's manner of being in relationship with us. Most people think of atonement as being limited to some event that takes place in Gethsemane or maybe even extends to the cross. But the reality is is atonement is the way that we stand in relationship to God, and it means that he lives in us and we live in him. And so that's the entire purpose of mortal life is that we can learn to love in such a way that we can have this kind of intimate relationship that is now on a different level than we could have possibly experienced before this mortal life. We've now freely chosen into a relationship after having been, if you will, abandoned, and after having had this kind of alienation in our lives, and it has been healed.
0: And then, just this is kind of the last part of the book, so I'll read that, and then you can say anything you want to sum up, but you wrote, He, meaning Christ, has given his life for us, and it is therefore now our life to live as... A gift to others he has given himself as the light of the world so that we can see where to walk it is now up to us to be a light to the world he is the son of God it is now up to us to become sons and daughters of God in a newness of life a life shared in loving indwelling of him in us and us in him that is what it is to be at one in this moment atonement is a way of being in the world to be at one with us is God's way of being with and in us, and it is now open to us to give our life to Him, to be in Him as He is in us.
1: I don't think I could have said it better myself. I think it's a good summation.
0: Thank you for joining us. To support the podcast, donate at exploringmormonthought.com. Follow us on facebook.com forward slash exploring Mormon thought.